Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Every Wednesday, we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Michael Delgado from Good Dog, and you are listening to the Good Dog Pod. Today, we're going to talk about everything you wanted to know about cryptorchidism, but we're afraid to ask. And our guest today is Carolyn Spangenberg. She is currently finishing her final year at the University College Dublin School of Veterinary Medicine. So very soon she will be a full-on veterinarian. And during her time in veterinary school, Carolyn has collaborated on research related to topics as diverse as reflective practice in veterinary education, as well as the responses of mice to SARS-CoV-2 infection, for which she did a summer fellowship at the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine and then received the 2021 Thomas O'Hanlon Memorial Award in Veterinary Medicine. She also published a review paper, Canide Cryptorchidism, a concise review of its origin, diagnosis, and treatment, which is exactly why I invited her to speak with us at the Good Dog Pod. We wanted to have an episode about cryptorchidism for a while, and so I knew Carolyn was the person we needed to talk to. On a personal note, Carolyn lives with her boyfriend, John, who's also in his final year of veterinary school at Dublin. They also have a one-year Bernese mountain dog, Iris, who you can find and follow on Instagram at Iris the Irish Bernese. And Carolyn, we're very excited to have you here today. Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk. It's definitely a subject I'm interested in, although still being a student, it's like almost a lot of pressure to answer all the questions, but I'm excited to give it my best shot. You know, even after we have various degrees, we're always learning. So, you know, it's part of the process. So while you're talking about being a student, maybe just tell us a little bit about your journey to veterinary school. What made you decide to pursue veterinary medicine? Definitely. So it's sort of how most children love animals. I always loved animals. It's always been an interest of mine, but I never really was dead set on the path of veterinary school. It wasn't until about, I think, my second year of my undergrad that the idea kind of popped into my head. I was talking to some friends about it and they were like, oh, you know, you should go ahead and apply, which makes it sound like it was really easy to apply, which it wasn't. It required a lot of, (laughs) I did get a lot of experience hours and etc. But I was pursuing a degree in zoology at the University of Maine, which I absolutely loved. I loved that degree. It was my second year of that degree that I said, okay, sure, I'll try for that. There's always so much pressure put on the idea of any kind of medical school. And I just never really felt like I was kind of person who maybe could follow through with that. But here we are now. Although I did take one year off after my zoology degree, I nannied for a year, two baby girls, two twin girls. And it was like the greatest year ever. I absolutely loved that year. So it was nice to take a little break from science. Nice. Very (laughs) nice. And then you ended up in Ireland. In Dublin. Yep. I kind of decided you know, so many years of school. And I thought it might be kind of fun to go abroad somewhere. And Ireland is somewhere that kind of always, it's somewhere abroad, but it still feels like home in a lot of ways. I considered going to Canada also for similar reasons. And I really liked a school in Canada as well, but it ended up, UC ended up winning. So (laughs) that's where I ended up and been here for over three years now. Okay, great. So let's get to talk about cryptorchidism and let's just start by defining what it is. So tell us what is cryptorchidism? So cryptorchidism is a condition in dogs in which either one or both of their testicles does not descend from the abdomen into the scrotum. So cryptorchidism in that case can be unilateral or bilateral. And if the dog is say a unilateral cryptorchid, that's when only one testicle does not descend while bilateral cryptorchidism occurs when neither testicle descends. 
basically. Okay. So when I was researching, you know, who should I talk to about this topic? I found your paper. So what made you decide, like, I'm going to research this topic and write a publication about it? Yeah, it's a funny story. That's a good question. It was during my first year of vet school, actually. It was COVID. It was past March. So COVID had just begun. And I had just gone home. I'd left Ireland because I had to basically. And got back home to Massachusetts is where I'm from. And one of our professors was assigning his final and he decided to do a case report because he didn't want to do like a regular exam. We'd all just been displaced and it was just kind of a difficult time in general. So we decided to do a case report and it was on cryptorchidism. And so I wrote it. I really enjoyed writing it. I loved having a final that wasn't the same. Like we had some exams that our professors were very strict. They were like, we're going to stick to making it exactly as how it would be if we were still in school, which just didn't make sense because we weren't in school. So I was very excited to write a case report instead. And then the following semester after I returned, this professor reached out to me. He asked if I would be interested in adapting it into a review, which is exactly what I did. And so we took a few months, it took a while to adapt it and then published it. And it was actually, it was one professor who it was his case report for his course, and that's Dr. David Kilroy, but it was also Dr. Aaron Kumar who really helped with the publishing also. So I'm very grateful for their mentorship and the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, writing a review paper does require a lot of work. It's nice to have mentorship to walk you through the process and Definitely. Yeah. great to have the publication. And often review papers are really important for researchers and scientists and veterinarians because if they are like, what's the latest on this topic, say cryptorchidism, your paper has the most detailed information in one place. So that's, you know, really important contribution yeah. to the field. All right. So we've defined cryptorganism and we know now why you took a deep dive into this topic. Can you explain normal testicular development in dogs? Yes, definitely. So in short, testicular descent under normal circumstances occurs by the movement of the testes through the abdominal cavity, through the inguinal ring, and then into their final scrotal position. The end of the testicle is attached to a mesenchymal cord called the gubernaculum. So this gubernaculum, this cord, pulls the testicles from where they originally develop down through the inguinal canal, through the abdomen, and into their final scrotal position. And when these testicles first form, they form underneath the kidneys. So that just to give you a visual in your mind that they form underneath the kidneys and then are pulled by this cord down through the inguinal canal into their final scrotal position. And so this process is beginning when the puppies are still in utero or is it all after birth? Yes. So that process begins in utero and then the testicles typically, as they go through this process and pass through the abdomen into their final position, it usually takes three to four days for them to move through the inguinal canal and then reach this final scrotal position by days 14 to 35 of age, roughly, depending on breed and whatnot. Okay. So it's happening in utero and it yes. continues after birth. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, for most puppies, there's something going on by two weeks of age, maybe not large or significant or noticeable, yes, exactly. <laughs> but something's going on. And exactly. I know, you know, we hear a lot of concerns from puppy buyers and breeders about when it doesn't seem like a puppy's testicles are descending, are mm -hmm. they cryptorchid or is this just they're small? So when and how can someone know for sure if they have a cryptorchid dog or puppy? How long does that take to know? Yeah, so diagnosis really can generally be achieved by conducting a physical exam or a visual examination. Generally, that can be done. And that's through just careful palpation of the scrotum, 
the region of the inguinal canal. And that can be a pretty accurate indicator, but you do also have to be careful because there can be lymph nodes or deposits of fat or who knows what else in the area. So if it is a testicle, let's say you palpate and you do find one somewhere, it should be able to move freely and it will have a palpable epididymis. But again, if you're concerned that your puppy might be a cryptorchid, that's something that I guess you might go to your vet and they'll help you be positive. But it takes so long because generally the testicle should have descended and reached their final scrotal position by the time the puppy reached six months of age. That's the age that professionals begin to label a puppy as cryptorchid because by this age, by six months, this is a point in puberty where it's widely accepted as the average age that both the testicles should be descended. But that being said, there's plenty of room for individual and breed variation, which is a super important if your puppy reaches six months of age and let's say you have a large breed dog and there's still not full descent, you don't have to panic or anything yet. There's diversity in puberty stages between breeds. So smaller breeds on average, the descent may occur by two months and then six months could be more for larger breeds, gotcha. et cetera. Okay. So we have some like individuals that might be slow developers, but also some breeds might be slower for the full descent, so to speak. Exactly. And is it possible if you had a dog that was unilaterally cryptorchid that they would appear to be completely normal? And so you might not know because you see there's something going on, but it's not until a veterinary exam that you might find out that only one testicle is descended. Mm -hmm. Because it could be confusing if there's just one It's like also not a spot that like, you know, owners are just all the time. So, you know, it's definitely something that veterinary professional will be able to, and they will notice it because they will do that exam when you bring in the puppy. So as long as they're brought in regularly for their puppy checks, it will be discovered for sure. Okay. Yeah. I think people's comfort level of talking about things like testicles can can vary greatly. um, Yeah. I don't even know if we could use the word testicle on Facebook or anything. So yeah. I know. (laughs) So, you know, I think sometimes people do have a puppy and they're observing that the testicles have not descended yet and maybe they're getting a little anxious. They want to know, is there some kind of magic or supplements or physical exercises that might encourage the puppy's testicles to descend? Or is it really like you just have to sit back and relax and wait? Yeah. So I wish, like, I wish there was a supplement or something. I'm sure we all do. That would be like the magic fix. But in some cases on like a smaller level, there is the occasional incidence of like an apprehensive puppy who they might retract their testes toward their body when they're touched. And so actually massaging the inguinally retained testicles are around the area could instigate testicles to move forward. But in that case, it's not because they're cryptorchid. It's just because they're shy or nervous. But that is something worth trying if you want to, while you're at home, maybe just check. So you can do that. But other than that, unfortunately not. I wish. I wish there was something that could be done. Okay. Shy puppies might have. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) They're holding their cards close. Exactly. They're a little tense. Keeping their secrets to themselves. (laughs) Amazing. Okay. Well, we're going to have a trivia question about testicles. So for our listeners, this is your opportunity to maybe, you know, the answer, make a guess. There's no prize, sadly. The prize is just whether or not you know the right answer and then finding out what the right answer is after our break. So the question is, If you have a puppy with a retained testicle or a dog, which testicle is more likely to be retained? The left, the right, or is there no difference? It's equally likely that the right or the left could be retained. We're talking to Carolyn Spangenberg about cryptorchidism. We're going to take a short break and then we'll be right back. Good Dog provides breeders in our community with free and exclusive access to puppy contract templates 
and legal resources created by our team of lawyers specifically for dog breeders. Follow the link in the show notes to access these sample contracts, legal webinars, our breeder recommended list of lawyers, and more. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Good Dog Pod. We're here with Carolyn Spangenberg talking all about cryptorchidism and dogs. So we just asked a trivia question. Which testicle is more likely to be retained, the left, the right, or are they equally likely? So, Carolyn, can you tell us the answer to this question? Yes, absolutely. So it is more likely for the right testicle to be retained than the left. And that is because the position in the abdominal cavity which is slightly more forward when they form. So as I'd mentioned earlier, the testicles form underneath the kidneys. Well, the right kidney is slightly more forward in the abdominal cavity than the left, so as is the testicle. That's fascinating. Righty-tighty, lefty-loosey? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, great. It's a good way to memorize it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> that was what our staff veterinary mentioned, so I was like, oh, that's perfect. And a fascinating explanation. It just really points to how interesting and complex the body is and the development and that, yeah, you don't think like, oh, the position of the kidneys would influence other organ development, but there you go. Mm-hmm. So let's continue talking about cryptorchidism. So is it heritable? And if so, is there a genetic test that people can have done to find out if their puppies are going to have this condition? Yeah, so the condition is heritable. That's like a big significant part about the condition is that it's an autosomal recessive trait, meaning that the gene can be carried by both the dam and the sire, the mom and the dad, and it can be passed to their offspring by either of them. So that's a bummer, (laughs) especially for breeders if they encounter a dog that has cryptorchidism. So definitely a bummer. And as far as I know, there's no current genetic test to predict the risk. But that's as far as I know. And, you know, science is ever changing. So you never know, maybe in the future. That would be great. Yeah. And are some breeds of dogs more at risk for cryptorchidism than others? Actually, yes. So it's not something that you would say too freely because you don't want people with those certain breeds to be worrying. But smaller breeds typically are about three times more likely to develop cryptorchidism than larger breeds. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And I find it especially interesting because it takes longer for the testicles to descend of larger breeds. So for some reason, in my head, that feels backwards, but it is what it is. I mean, I think it's always good for people to be aware of definitely the risks. It doesn't mean that a lot of those dogs are going to be cryptorchid, but if you're observing no. dogs in your breeding program, that are producing puppies that are cryptorchid, then you can kind of use a pedigree to kind of assess the risks. Mm-hmm. So speaking of risks, I mean, is cryptorchidism a problem? Does it need to be treated? Like, is it okay to just let the dogs have their testicles hanging out in their abdomen? What is the issue here? Yeah, so unfortunately, there are various complications that occur as a result of cryptorchidism. And like, just to name a few, that could be sterility, cancer, local pain, behavior disturbances, skin diseases, testicular torsions resulting in more abdominal pain and other complications. The development of these complications dependent on so many different factors, such as the age of the animal, location, where it's retained, degree of severity, and more. But it's definitely something that you want to keep in mind because that's why it's so important to not leave the testicle wherever it is for your animal's health and well-being. Okay. So sounds like, yes, the testicles definitely need to be removed from the abdomen. Yeah. Do they need to be removed altogether or can the surgery actually like place them back in the scrotum? That might be a weird question, but what is the surgery like to treat cryptorchidism? Yeah. So it's advisable typically to, yeah, you want to remove both testicles surgically, whether the animal is bilateral or unilateral. 
And there's a variety of surgical approaches that can be taken, I guess, depending entirely on where the testis is retained. So first that begins with finding the retained testicle. So you do that, or like a veterinary professional would do that by finding the ductus deferens, identifying that, and then following that to the testicle, which again, may be abdominally or inguinally retained. And then once you've determined that, there's different incisions that you can make, and there can also be laparoscopic removal. That's something, again, you would discuss with your vet at home and decide which approach you want to go about. But it just usually involves if it's inguinally retained, it's just a typical castration incision. The inguinal canal is pretty close to the scrotum, so they can almost made it there. So close. See the bulge. I know, it's so <laughs> close. So that's where you would make the incision. And then abdominally, depends on how far it's strayed from the standard midline incision. So that surgery, if it's abdominally retained, didn't quite make it down. And that's a bit more of a complicated surgery, but it's still frequently done and can be done. It's definitely you want to find it and remove it. Okay, great. Is there any particular post-care owners should be ready to provide if their dog has had to have their testicles removed due to cryptorchidism? Yeah, basically just similar to, you know, any other major-ish surgery. It's not like hugely major, but kind of like you would want to keep the incision site clean, restrict some activity. They'll probably be given a collar if you have a dog who likes to bite at incisions, which most of us do have dogs who want to bite their incisions. So yeah. And then just comfort things. Okay. So it's a little more complicated than castration, but it's not yeah, exactly. like, as intense as maybe like an obstruction or something. Exactly. You're okay. exactly right. Basically, it's still a castration. It's just like a fancy castration. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. So it sounds like, you know, you mentioned things like testicular torsion, and maybe it would be helpful to explain what that is. But it sounds like cryptorchidism is a health concern. We should do what we can to avoid creating dogs that are going to be more likely to exhibit cryptorchidism. So yeah, you would consider this a health concern for dogs. Yes. And especially, I guess I hadn't mentioned, if the animal is a unilateral cryptorchid, the one distended testicle will still be able to produce sperm. So that's why it is important to remove both, no matter if they're unilateral or bilateral, because by not removing the distended testicle also, it leaves the possibility of still passing on the defect. So even if they have one successful descent, you want to remove them both for sure. Okay, great. Thank you. Well, this has been great. I've learned a lot. It's been also fun to kind of take a deep dive into this condition. So thank you for being here. And before we wrap up, I would love to hear a little bit more about your dog, Iris. Yeah, absolutely. So she is a one-year-old Bernese Mountain Dog. We got her last year and it was, we got her from a good friend of mine who is actually a, she's a dairy and beef farmer in Ireland. And I went and worked for her as part of her program, before we start any kind of clinical work, working with vets at all, we have to really understand animal husbandry and animal behavior. And, you know, if you can treat a cow, can you like actually walk up to a cow and like, do you know how to properly hold the head of a cow? You know, you don't want to skip the basics because then you walk into a farm and you look like a big dumbo. Plus you might get kicked by a cow, right? Yeah, exactly. So you don't want to skip the, I say the basics, it's not the basics, probably the hardest part. So anyways, I made a good friend because I would go to her farm most weekends to work for her. I would milk with her. I was getting comfortable around cows. And she has a Bernese mountain dog named Flute, who is my favorite, like favorite dog on the planet. And she was a farm dog. She was so funny, the sweetest, just the best dog I've ever met. And we later found out a year later, or however later she said, we decided we're going to have a litter of puppies with Flute. And I was like, Oh, don't say that to me <laughs> because 
I'm in school and I definitely shouldn't <laughs> get a puppy. But it was like, as soon as she told me that, I was like, I will regret it. Like for the rest of my life, if I don't take one of those puppies. So nice. that's how we got Iris. And she is just the best thing we've ever done. So is it a lot of work? Yes. Tons of work to raise a puppy, but like she's made our lives like tenfold better. So that's wonderful. And then tell us again, her Instagram handle. It's Iris, the Irish Bernese. Please give her a follow. She would love that. I'm really bad at keeping up to date with it, but I'm going to get better, especially if she gets more followers, then we'll really be keeping up to date. All right. I'm going to check out her account because Bernese are cute. They're so cute. She is cute and fluffy and sleeping on the floor right now. Well, Carolyn, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Thank you for your work and deciding to write a research paper on this very interesting topic. Good luck finishing your vet degree. Yeah, fingers crossed. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, go out into the world and do some good. I know you will. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for this opportunity. 